Good morning, good morning. I realize the Ravens don't play until tomorrow night, but other of us want to get home to see some football. Come on, let's go. I know. All right. Not quite seeing all the usual football jerseys uh, we normally see. Are you all feeling like maybe the, the Ravens are a little cursed this year, you know? My goodness. All right, well, we'll Raiders, the Raiders tomorrow. Good morning, everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, today, we're going to talk about loving others, and I'm going to start you off with a, a video that may take, well, the older folk will take you back a little ways. Um, is the sound up? Yeah, I don't know if we're playing yet. I don't know if we got the sound going here. Uh-oh. Is it on? All right. Well, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to dispense with that then. Seeing oh bummer. You know, um it was it was really good too, you know. Um that will take you back some of you, Mr. Rogers, uh, about our neighbor. Um and just a little thing, too, is that, you know, he, uh, for people who may not know, um, he was a Presbyterian minister. And uh, read, uh, this is from Wikipedia, and I guess taken from a book, said that he would, uh, he, he swam daily after waking every morning between 4.30 and 5.30 to pray and to read his Bible and prepare himself for the day. Uh, and I thought that was, you know, that was such, well, in, in this, I don't want to cringe on another study we got coming up about reading our Bible, but I just felt like that would, uh, that, that's really something that we all should probably follow, um, and I, even myself, you know. Um, and I think a lot of his, uh, his, his faith came out in that show and what he, what he thought, what it meant to be somebody's neighbor. So we're going to look at the story of the Good Samaritan, where Jesus talks about a good, a good neighbor, and it has nothing to do with State Farm either. <laughs> right, so let's go to the Word. Um, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, uh, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, in, in, in reply, Jesus said, I want to make sure I don't leave you guys hanging here. Uh, Jesus said, a man uh, was going down from Jerusalem to Jer Jericho, but he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when the, he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too... Um, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he, tra as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on, on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for the extra expense you may have. 
Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who, who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful day. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us all here, Lord. Uh, thank you for this opportunity to look at your word and, 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 and know and learn what it means to love others. Just bless our time. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So there's three things I want to touch on today. Um, what is, who do we love? Who is our neighbor? What is love? And how do we love others? Looking at the first one, who do we love? Um, the first question uh, is, of course, is who, who is our neighbor? In the Luke passage, we have this expert of the law. Um, some versions will call it, say he's an attorney. He's he is told that he should love his neighbor. Actually, he, re- he responds to Jesus from what is in the law. Being a good lawyer, he just wants to define the terms. Is my neighbor the person next door? Is, the per- is my neighbor the person across town? The passage says that he is trying to justify himself, so he has some other motives going on. Perhaps he wanted confirmation that what he was doing was enough. Nonetheless, it seems he is looking for some criteria. But if you look at this, Jesus doesn't really answer his question. He doesn't tell him who his neighbor is. All he says to him is, he says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Um, Thus, does Jesus tell him who he should love? The expert law asks for a definition. Jesus gives him a story about how to love. Now, I can identify with this. You know, being an attorney, I always, I'm, I'm big on terms and, you know, wordsmithing and what have you. Tell me who I should love. How, however, the issue is not about who, but how. When God tells us to love our neighbor, there is nothing about the statement that says that some will be uh, excluded from your love. The issue of the parable, it is an illustration of how. The Samaritan demonstrated genuine compassion and mercy when someone was in need. So we get kind of three points out of this um, that I kind of pulled out. um, Is that one is the underlying issue of... um, uh, that he you know, challenges the view of the Samaritans. The Jews had, you know, really did not view the Samaritans highly. Um, you know, it said that, that sometimes even a Jew, Jew heading somewhere, rather than go through the land of the Samaritans, would go completely around it just to avoid having to deal with Samaritans. And so Jesus uses the Samaritan as the hero of the story and kind of, kind of as, you know, as a way to kind of drive home this issue. But Jesus also deals with uh, the issue of the correct question. Uh, Jim brought this up last year, when he was, or last week when he was talking about divorce, about when there was a conversation about, you know, about divorce, and, and Jesus doesn't really answer the question, but because he kind of says, you're not asking the right question. Um, the correct question should be, how do I love my neighbor? And then the, the other point, too, is there's no qualifications or conditions to our love. They are not, you know, we, we don't put geographical conditions and we don't put on personal qualities as to whom we love. The problem is, is that we oftentimes put conditions or qualifications on who we will love. Um, I think uh, we, I, I use the term we qualify our love. 
We put conditions on, on whether we're going to love them. To me, this is something we learn from the world. Because I think in the world, there is, you know, you can, you know, although not, nobody's going to give you a list, but I think we, we get from people, well, you know, there are some people that are worthy of love, and there are some people that are not. And so we, oftentimes, I think we kind of pick up on this, and we do the same thing. Um, I ran into this some time back. I was having a conversation with someone about, you know, immigrants and coming here, and the person goes, well, you know, I, you know if they go back and, you know, get in line, I will, I, will, I will welcome them with open arms. And I said, well, you know, the same thing. I said, well, you're qualifying your love. You're putting conditions on it. Oh, no, I love people. I give money to missions, right? So the problem with that is someone like that is, well, yeah, I'll love somebody on the other side of the world, which I know nothing about, but somebody I do that has done something I don't like, well, let's, you know, I'm not sure I can love them. Um, so I came up with six categories of people, you know, that we kind of put people in. And how we, some we choose to love and some we don't. Uh, one is those we want to love. This is the easy one. This is the person you think about when you have 1 Corinthians 13 read at your, uh, at your wedding, right? You know, the, I, I, got all, I, feel, I feel all this immense love. And this is easy, so we don't have to spend too much time there. Then there's those that we pity. Those are people where certain things have happened. You know, hurricanes, earthquake, people willing to give money. Um, in fact, one of the things that really got me or struck me was when Hurricane Harvey hit Texas and, and Louisiana, and people were just millions of dollars given, celebrities raising money and all this stuff. And I kept thinking, man, if, as Christians, if we want to distinguish ourselves, show us that we can do more, this is a high standard because everyone, and I, and I sometimes I think, well, this is kind of representative of the world and something that Jesus touches on, and I'll, I'll get into that when he talks about enemies, is the world oftentimes is willing to love those people in this type of situation. Then there are those that have earned our love. They have done something for us, so we like them. We want to help them back. Um, <clears throat> and so, uh, so maybe this is the person that you know, waves you in when you're, when you're, when you're sitting at the, at the stoplight or um, lets you go ahead of them at the supermarket or gives your wallet back to you without stealing any of the money or the credit cards. Um, well, we've seen this really today, at least I have in my line of, uh, of work, is, that, is, is our, our approach to people in Afghanistan. And, you know, immigration is a hot topic, uh, as I, I, you know, which it is. Uh, but it's amazing how that's not the issue now. Everyone seems to be, yeah, we, we need to bring all these people here, right? Um, a recent study, I, I got this, it said, according to a new NPR um, poll that said more than 7 of 10 Americans support resettling Afghans who work for the U.S. government or military. Uh, <clears throat> one person was reported, Afghans who oppose the Taliban love America. They fought for us. They were with us the whole time. True allies of the West, um, said one person. Now, as a person that works in this field, you know, I, I love seeing that, you know, and, and things like that. But I've already seen people kind of qualify. Well, you know, it's the, the people that helped us. That's who I want to help. Um, and I have to point out one, actually, you know, when it comes to refugee and asylum law, there's a lot of other people that may have been, don't fit in certain categories that we should probably help under that. But that's really kind of falling under U.S. law. People, you know, look at this and go, well, we, we should love them. They, they, they did something for us, and we should return the favor, so to speak. Um, and so, in fact, recently I had somebody who's another Christian talking to me about this issue. and goes, I want to help some Afghans, but what do you think? You know, I, I, I would prefer to help Christians. 
So he asked me, what do you think of that? And I thought, well, isn't that, the, the, isn't that what this passage is all about? Who's my neighbor? You know, is it just the Christian that's my neighbor? And I would say, no, everyone's our neighbor. Now, you know, resources and other things and, and, and opportunities is a different issue, but we should be open to helping everyone. And by the way, I want to help Christians too. All right, I mean, I, I understand that personal aspect. Um, so then there's the, the unlovable. This is like the Samaritans. You know, as I mentioned, Samaritans weren't liked. Um, and so this is a little harder for us. You know, it depends on if you get guilted sometimes, or maybe, you know, you have enough of a distance to them that you're, you're, you're kind of okay with loving maybe the unlovable. And then number uh, five, this is, the, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is the hard one. And in fact, these next two are probably the hardest ones of all. Those that don't deserve our love, so to speak. These are the people who have hurt us. Um, in fact, recently I was uh, caught an article, and I don't know if you, you know, people that pay attention to, uh, to the news, there was the, this guy, um, his name's Alexander uh, uh, um, I may have missed Cote, who pled guilty to numerous charges. He was one of four individuals that were, were termed the ISIS Beatles because they were, they were people that came with the English accents. One of them was the Jihad John guy, you know, cut people's heads off. And they were, they were notoriously, you know, brutal, kidnapped people. You know, and, and, you know, and I'll be honest with you, this is, and I'm telling you that this is what we should do, but I understand the emotion because I don't know if you, when they showed those shots of people, I wanted to jump through the, the TV and like cut somebody's head off too, right? Um, you know, and I say that being honest to you, even though I'm telling you that we need to love these people, right? Because I understand the emotion of it and that's hard. It's hard to love that person, right? And not think, ah, you know, send them to the electric. Although with the deal with England, we can't, he does, he's he's going to have to just spend his life in jail. Um, so we have those. But there's another one. And this one may surprise you that I put this one here. This is our fellow believers in church. Because follow me this, all right? Um, there's one that's really, and you see this a lot in church lately. A lot of conflict. People leaving churches. People fighting churches over issues. I have this great quote um, I got from, and it was written by the uh, president and CEO of Christianity Today. He says, One group within American evangelicalism believes our religious liberties have never been more firmly established. Another, that they've never been at greater risk. One group believes racism is still systematic in American society. Another, that systematic racism push is, push is a progressive program to redistribute wealth and power to angry radicals. One is more concerned with the insurrection at the Capitol, another with the riots that followed the killing of George Floyd. One believes that Trump presidency was generally damaging to Christian witness, another that it was enormously beneficial. One believes the former president attempted a coup, another that the Democrats stole the election. One believes masks and vaccines are marks of Christian love, another that the rejection of the same is a mark of Christian courage. Now, the point here is for me not to have people to start fighting over this, because that is not my intention at all. Um, it was just an illustration, because I think it is where the church is at today. Now, the problem isn't that people have opinions. Opinions are okay. It's your, you know, it's your right as an American to have an opinion. And I think God allows you to have a right to have an opinion, too. The point is what we do with them. You know, we spent a long time last year going over the essentials of the faith. None of this has to do with the essentials of faith, right? So this is not something we should be dividing over, but church is dividing. 
People are leaving churches. People are not talking to each other. They're, they're throwing barbs at each other. Essentially, they are saying to each other, because you have a different opinion, I don't have to love you. or I don't want to love you. And that's a, der- that's a terrible thing when you look at this passage. Jesus said to his disciples, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, and this is the key phrase here, this is the key passage. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So if we're not loving one another, what does that say about us in our discipleship? Is that we're missing the mark terribly. And we have to get, and this is all of us. I mean, I, I can get emotional about things too. Just as good as the last one. I can, I can argue with the best of them. But we have to be able to still love each other. We have to be able to say, you know, we're just going to disagree, but I love you, brother or sister, and we can have that discussion. We have to demonstrate to the world that, you know, knowing God is better and, and being in our church is better. And this is the way we do it when we love each other. And then the last one is our enemies. Um, um, and this I get from Matthew. Um, and, you know, I, I, love, I have a love-hate relationship with this passage. Um, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you, get, if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. That goes back to the whole giving money to the people who, uh, you know, with the hurricanes and things like that. Be perfect, therefore, as your father your heavenly Father is perfect. So Jesus teaches us in this passage that we must love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Every time I read this, I always think, man, this is, this is so difficult. You know, to really love those who persecute me? Is that really what you're asking? I want to say, Jesus, is that really true? Do we, do we really have to do this? Or is this just aspirational? You know, is this just something we should, we should think about and go, that's a really great idea. But no, he really calls us to do that. He lays it down. I mean, I, I, always, I always am just, just struck by this every time I read it. And I always want to like, can we just skip over that part? Because I, I want to hate the people that are persecuting me. Let's move on to the next one here is, is not, we did, who, is, who do we love? Which is, we're supposed to love everyone. And, but to what is love? Um, and I'm going to pull out just, um, so... Now, some of you may be saying, I know love because you are in love, right? I think back before I was married, I had it all figured out, right? And then I got married, and then I realized I didn't know anything about love or marriage, right? Um, I did. I had it. I I used to read all those books, listen to all those things, and I had it all figured out. Um, Of course, you know, we have many rom-coms, which we can learn a lot about love, right? Um, Actually, I know a lot of those are funny and entertaining, but it's probably the worst way to kind of learn about how love functions in a family. Um, but Paul gives us a description in Romans 13. Uh, <clears throat> unless you've never been to a wedding, you've probably heard this passage before, right? Uh, some of you can probably quote it. 
And I'm just going to pull out one section of it. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8 says this, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. When I was preparing this study, uh, and I was kind of looking over the topic, you know, and, and um, Seth actually kind of prepares the list beforehand, like, hey, these are the uh, topics I'm thinking about. And he always throws in some verses for each topic. And I was looking at this, and yeah, you know, we can talk about love. I can play the Beatles song, All We Need Is Love, and it'll be great. But then I thought, you know, I, I saw he had put in 1 Corinthians 13. And, and frankly, honestly, I, I kind of, like, ah, I don't want to talk about that passage. Um, you know, and I thought, oh, you know, because it's always so overdone. Everyone plays it at their wedding. And, and in fact, we may have had it at our wedding, but I don't even remember if we played it at our wedding. I know, look at she's saying no. I guess we didn't. Um, <laughs> I, just, I just remember, and I, and I think I get a little cynical with it. However, Seth listed, and for those that know Seth, Seth's a taskmaster, so if you don't do everything he says, it gets mad at you. Sorry, okay, that was supposed to be funny. Because um, people know Seth, he's absolutely not that guy at all. And he wouldn't have cared, really, honestly. But in my mind, I keep thinking, but you know, you know, I'm sure Seth prayed about this, and he thought ahead, and I thought, well, maybe the Lord, this is what the Lord wanted to do. So I kind of looked at it, and I was reading it. So then I, just follow me on this little journey I took as I was looking at this passage. You know, I'm a, I'm a, you know, who, my personality, I started to make lists and I started to make charts because I'm a visual learner. I, I, for me, if I can put it in a chart, I can kind of conceptualize it. So this is kind of what I came, I took that verse and I broke it out to each point. So you have, you know, it's patient, love is patient, kind, not envious, not boastful, not proud, not rude, not self-seeking, not easily angered, not, not, re not record wrongs, not delight in evil, rejoices in truth, protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, never fails. And then, of course, I had to put it in my chart. Um, and so I, I did three charts because, you know, I like charts, charts and graph, right? And so makes it easy, can conceptualize. Actually, I will remember it if it's in a chart, than I will if I have read it. Um, but I broke it out. I said, what, what is love, what it is not, and what is it always? It is, it is patient, kind, rejoices in truth, protects, and never fails. But it's not envious, boastful, proud, rude, self-seeking, easily angered, recording wrongs. And it always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. When I started to kind of look at this and kind of look at my chart and try to think about this, I thought, that's a really high standard. That's an incredibly high standard that we're called to. It's a very difficult thing. And I think part of my cynicism is that, you know, you have people, I'm sure, that have read this, you know, had it read at their weddings. People put it in posters. They put it on their wall. Why? Because it sounds nice, Right? Now, I'm sure there are people that actually have put it up there for good reason. I'm not saying everyone is like this. But I'm also sure that there have been some of those people that said, well, of course this is great because I'm so in love, this represents my love. And as we know, once you get into marriage, that's not how it works out, right? That the rubber meets the road and, and you know, you start, reality sets in. And so the truth is that if, when, when we look at love, when we look at mar in marriage contact or just with love with each other, it's an incredibly high standard that we're going for here. Um, 
<clears throat> you know, in fact, just to kind of give you a little insight, because, you know, as, as a scholar, you know, this, the type of love that's described here is what they call the agape love, and Greek has multiple names for love. You maybe heard of phileo, which is like Philadelphia, brotherly love. This is kind of what people will describe as the Christian love, agape love. And this is the standard that, um, uh, that we must go for. So going back to the parable, Jesus implied that the better question was, how can I love my neighbor? Well, here it is. That's the standard. That is how you love your neighbor. You love in that, in that fashion. And that brings me to the, the, the third point, is um, how do we love each other? Now, you can think of this two ways. There's like, well, there's like, well, what are some things I could do to love my, my neighbor? You know, can you give me a list? And those are lists out there. I'm sure there's plenty of lists. The harder one is that how can I be the person that God wants me to be that loves everyone unconditionally, which is what, what, what we want to focus on today? And I came up with really two things that kind of jumped out at me on ways that we can be people that love others and love others unconditionally. One is God, the first commandment. Um, as we know, loving our neighbor is part of, of, you know, of the two greatest commandments. I think, uh, <clears throat> um, I, so I think one of the ways that we can, love, we can love others is we can follow that first commandment. Uh, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Um, this is the first and greatest commandment. Um, and he did say it's strength, and I wanted, I actually put the Mark passage up here. Um, um, hold on. Sorry, hold on. I went, went too far. Um, the Mark passage, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And I saw that passage when it said um, strength, and I thought, we do want to love God completely, but then it throws in that extra one. In fact, in the original passage in Deuteronomy, it also uses the word strength. So we love with our, with our heart and our soul and our mind and with all our strength. That means that, that, um, that, that we must love God with all the strength that we can muster. I think that loving, uh, you know, and so we need to love God in, in an incredible way. And I think that focusing on God first and loving God will enable us to also turn and love others because God loves others and God is love. He doesn't, he doesn't meet some love standard. He is love. And then the second one is, and this is, this is probably a little harder, is we need to focus on our compassion and our mercy. Um, at the end of this passage, Jesus said, you know, which of these, uh, <clears throat> um, which of these was the neighbor to the man who fell to the robbers? And the expert, the expert of law responded, the one who has shown mercy. At the end of the conversation, Jesus asked, who's the neighbor? The response is, the one who has shown mercy. We need to increase our compassion and mercy for others. Um, I got a couple of definitions I pulled out um, from there. You know, uh, mercy, kindness, loving kindness, uh, compassion for the miserable. Compassion, literally a feeling and and uh, with and for others is a fundamental and distinctive quality of the biblical conception of God. Um, and so we need to increase this. And I, the way I kind of, my visual of this, or the way I kind of have viewed this concept of mercy and compassion, again, going back to that Afghanistan example, because it's where I've been, my life has been for the last two or three weeks, um, 
is that when I started to see, see pictures of people hanging off the airplanes as they were taking off, um, and then you hear the one story about they found remains of someone inside uh, the landing gear, because that means that somebody crawled up there and they were so desperate to get out. They were so fearful of what might go on that they were willing to hang on to a moving jet. Um, or the one that always really got me in, in, is the um, one outside one of the gates, there's a, there's a canal, and you show people standing in it, holding up, and we're standing there for hours, holding up papers and stuff that they had. Well, you come to learn that that actually was not just a water canal, that was a sewage canal. So that means people were standing for hours in sewage. And you have to think, I always think that, you have to think about how desperate people are that they would stand in sewage for hours. And I look at that and think, how, you know, if you look at that and you have no emotion, you really need to start praying. You really do. You need to start praying that God gives you a heart of compassion. Because regardless of how you feel, people, that, that's a difficult scene to look at. In fact, I, you know, because of the things I've done and kind of, I am kind of connected with some th- stuff that's going on. And I, I've been very, in, very upfront with knowing what was happening there, almost real time, and hearing all the stories of people, of what was going on, and people trying to get on planes and trying to get out, and, and the difficulties people were having started to wear on me. It started to get, I started to get exhausted because I was trying to stay up on top of stuff so I knew that if I had to do anything or help anybody, I knew what to do or I could advise someone, but it did wear me down. It started to, it started to very heavy. And on top of that, this is the other, other part of it too was we're going to go to Disney World this week. For, we, we had some Southwest money because uh, with all the changes with COVID-19, this money is going to expire in two weeks. So we, we're going to plan this trip. And normally for us, you know, we're all about Disney. Like that's a big thing for us. Like, oh, and especially Deborah and I, you know, when we're planning, it's very exciting. And where we're going to go, what, what park we're going to go, you know, we're gonna, where we're going to eat and we're going to get really into it. But having been so close to observing and knowing what was going in Afghanistan, and then the back of my mind that started to weigh on me. Like, what right do I have to be happy when people are, are, are not that far away? And I know it is a distance. The, their lives are on the line, you know? And, and, and so it's a struggle. It's a struggle with, you know, do I go be happy and, and joyous knowing that, you know, these other people, things aren't so good for them? You know, and it is a struggle. And so when I think about mercy and compassion, those are the things that come through in mind. Those are the things that, that should touch our heart. Now, you don't have to take it to the level I do. Maybe you're fine with being happy, and that's good, and that's something I have to deal with. But those are the things I think of this. In light of the story of the Good Samaritan, let me kind of contemporize this in the end here. What in a contemporary light. You know, he used a Samaritan. That was, that was what was the issue of the time. But let's put it in our contemporary light, again, using the Afghan. Imagine him saying, well, you know, it was a Taliban soldier that actually showed mercy, right? Let's actually take it a step deeper than that. And I started thinking about the guy that was robbed. Now, this is a parable, so there's no backstory. There's nothing to look into. Um, But what if that person was really up to no good anyway? What if he was a person that had just robbed somebody themselves? And you might, or what if this is somebody from the Taliban or ISIS that had just killed somebody and then somebody killed them? Or maybe, you know, and I see Jonathan here. I love you, bro. Um, but, you know, I, you know, he goes to the, you know, the Planned Parenthood. What if this is a Planned Parenthood doctor that had just performed numerous abortions and now is attacked? How many might want to go, well, you got what you deserved? And Jesus says that's not the right response. The right response is, is to love them anyway, no matter what they've done. 
Because he, while we were still sinners, he loved us. So don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget that you were, you were the person that, that somebody else may have gone, well, you know, you get what you deserved. So now one thing I want to point out, I'm not saying that we, people shouldn't be punished for things. That's, it has nothing to do with this. You know, there's always rule of law. But it's how we feel about people. Loving others is how we feel about the person and how we treat them, even if they're in jail and they're prison or if they're on death row. Do we, do we look at them and say, you know, you know, I hate you, or do we say, I love them and I want you to know Jesus? You know, I, I think of the story of Alan. I think Jonathan was sharing this story where he was sharing with, with the people serving him, and he looks at him and goes, know that I'm doing this because I love you. And I just that imagery is awesome, that no matter who we're doing with, we're doing it because we care about them. And that's hard, and I do know that's hard. And it's something that we need to seek God every day to help us be the people that God wants us to be and love others. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you, Lord, for this wonderful day. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us all here. Thank you, Lord, for your message. Um, help us, Lord, to be the people you want us to be. Help us to, um, to be people that love others, love each other too, that we love each other unconditionally, that we love each other in spite of the fact that we're different, that we have different opinions, different ways. Help us to take that love for each other and it go out from here to love others in our community, in our country, and in our world around us. That we, won't, we will work on having hearts of compassion, have hearts full of mercy, and hearts that, that want to help others around us, that, want, that despite how we might personally feel about what somebody has done, we'll still extend that, that mercy and compassion and love them. Just bless us this week. In your name just we pray. Amen.